Welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, where we talk about what's wrong and what's right with marriage and relationships in our world today. Today's episode is titled, Pulling Back the Shades on Female Sexuality, and our guest is Dana Gresh. All right, well, welcome to another episode of Relationship Rewire, and I'm excited about my guest today, uh, Dana Gresh, and she is the author of, um, among other books, Pulling Back the Shades. She's co-authored that with Dr. Julie Slattery. And she's actually currently on tour and uh, doing, well, what's the name of your tour, Dana? Well, right now I'm with my Secret Keeper Girl Tour team. That's an event we do for moms and their tween daughters, ages 8 to 12, on true beauty and modesty, kind of developing the foundation for purity in their lives. Okay, great. And uh, boy, how long is that tour going? Well, we've been going since 2003, going strong. So okay. we do about 100 cities a year. We love it. Uh, How many? About 100 cities a year. Wow. Yeah. It's just, great. just with that tour? Just with that tour. Yeah, that's really, that's, you know, my heart and my mission is to teach women in particular, but men and women of all ages to live lives of purity and to heal from moments of past purity if it's existed in their lives. Because... The word tells us that the way we live out our, our purity is a picture of the gospel. Um, the marriage relationship is a picture of the gospel. And so how motivated is Satan to see that picture destroyed in our lives? And working with these 8 to 12-year-old girls, that is preventative. Let's not let their hearts ever be broken by sexual pain. Let's lay the foundation so well in their lives yeah. that they get to take a bypass on that. Yeah, we... <laughs> We need to not, uh, especially within church, but I think even probably just the world out there, we've got to, we, it's not just talking about how the birds and the bees, but the, talking about how uh, relationships, uh, you know, before they start to have them, these, uh, you know, opposite sex relationships that for most uh, kids uh, in our culture today start like more like in middle school yeah. for a lot of them. And, um, and we're not, yeah, we're not preparing, talking about just, you know, how, you know, the, the world tells them, you know, you're going to, you, you know, you'll just fall in love with somebody and you'll just know it. And, and people in eighth grade, ninth grade are falling in love and they think that's the person and their culture says, well, if you're in love, then sex is okay. And then they're having pregnancy and they're finding out this guy's a drug dealer, <laughs> whatever. So I'm glad you're doing that. That's, that's great. Okay, so tell me, uh, tell us a little bit uh, briefly. Uh, you you live where you live. Your uh, how long you've been married? Your kids? Oh, I'm from State College, Pennsylvania. My husband and I have been married for nearly three decades, and we have three adult grown children. And um, we live on a hobby farm with 32 wonderful critters that we love dearly because our <laughs> children left us, so we have to have something to love. A hobby farm. Yes. You, you sound pretty busy. <laughs> well, uh, and so um, what got you into doing what you do in the first place? Well, you know, um, like so many people, my life calling came out of my life heart. And I don't care whether you're a banker or whether you're a doctor or whether you're a psychologist or a teacher. So many times the reason we are in those career fields, if it is meaningful and important to us, is because there was a piece of pain in our early lives 
that we said, hey, I don't want this to happen. And for me, that was um, being a 15-year-old girl who I was crazy in love with Jesus. I was a missionary for Child Evangelism Fellowship. And I just never imagined that my life could be um, sideswiped by sexual pain, but it was. And as a 15-year-old girl, I became sexually active. It became really the great heartache of my life. I felt so disqualified from serving God. I was ashamed. I never told anyone for about 10 years. I never told anyone. I mean, I even got out of that relationship and I stood before God and I begged God, teach me how to live a life of purity. I didn't think that was possible, but didn't tell a single soul. And I didn't realize that I was just cooperating with the enemy because his goal wasn't for me to be sexually active. His goal for me was to be shrouded in shame so that I wasn't a voice for Christ, so that I wasn't out there um, sharing the love of Christ. And he did that very effectively in my life for about 10 years. And so I'm kind of, I'm definitely not the poster child for purity, but I am happily a poster child for God's healing in my life. Well, I'm imagining somebody listening to this and um, they, maybe they're in a place where their faith is fairly low or kind of shaken, or maybe they, they're somebody who's got an interest in, in faith matters, or maybe they just, you know, Hey, the relationship stuff, I want to listen to it. And, um, and hearing you say that they might think, well, that's a, a big problem with your faith is that if you didn't have this belief that what you're doing is bad, then you wouldn't have felt all that guilt and shame. What, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? No, I think it's hogwash because, <laughs> because we know um, even those, you can take girls who have a religious point of view and reason that the reason that they feel shameful about their sexual activity is because they have been programmed to believe that that is shameful activity. However, research tells us that you can take girls with no religious training and they will equally experience depression, um, there's a higher risk of suicide among uh, higher risk of suicide and attempted suicide among sexually active teenage girls, whether they are um, religiously active or not religiously active, whether they come from homes who prescribe to the idea of waiting for sex within marriage, or they come from homes from families who are handing them condoms and telling them that's okay. So that re the research really bears out that that is not true, that somewhere in the human psyche, there is a sense that sex is sacred, sex is good, sex is special, and it should be reserved for something special. Okay, well, so, um, uh, you know, putting aside the, the argument for that, well, that's just the way that God made us, is, is there something you know, can you explain, flesh out what you think is in that, that, that psyche that, that uh, creates that, that, well, those guilt feelings that, that girls or young women would be having if they're just out there having recreational sex or, or even it's just uncommitted sex that they think, oh, I, I really care and love this person. Sure. Well, I think that, that we have to go back to the beginning. What did, what did God create when he created sex? Well, when you go to Genesis 4, um, 1, it says Adam knew his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth. The Hebrew word there was yada. It meant to know, to be known, to be deeply respected. And so what God created was this, this um, it was an emotional connection. It was in 
perhaps even a spiritual connection. The physical stuff we do is just the conduit. It's just the way we get to the emotional connection. So when somebody is talking to you and they, they kind of, you know, instead of saying et cetera or something, they say yada, yada, yada. What they're really saying is I want to know you in a very deep level. Yeah, yeah, we don't know. We think, means, we think it means blah, blah, blah. In fact, the word is not boring at all. Um, and we, it, it is, it is uh, that every human wants to be known. Every human wants to be seen. Every human wants to be understood. We yeah. understand that. So, so you take that and you say, okay, so how a thing was created to work is the best way that it works. If I go to my hotel coffee maker right now and try to make popcorn, it is not going to go well with my situation because it was not created to make popcorn. It was created to make coffee. We were not created for promiscuity. We were created for monogamy. We were created to be known and deeply known by one person. God's word teaches that throughout from Genesis to Revelation, we can see that standard, even though God's word is honest and raw, and we see the misuse of that. We see polygamy and promiscuity and all manner of sexual misuse among the heroes of the Bible. And we also see many times the consequences of that. Now, so, so when a girl or a guy is experiencing some regret from using sex casually, we can link that back to you weren't using your body the way you were created to use. But there's good news in this too. It's not just bad news. Um, some of the most liberal sexual studies out there tell us that the most sexually satisfied people are those with the fewest sexual partners. For example, out of the University of Chicago in Illinois, there is a study that says that religiously active evangelical women who have had only one time, one lifetime mutually monogamous partnership, I call that marriage, are the most orgasmic women in the United States. Yeah. Their bodies and, work better. And this just goes, you know, if this is another example of that we have scientific data that shows us the, the, a counter um, viewpoint of what our culture, but our culture tends to reject it if it doesn't fit the culture. Because I actually, my master's thesis study was on this very subject, and I presented at the uh, Texas Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. And and I, the, most of the people that came up with interest to me uh, about it were. I want to see your data. I want to see how you, how you came to this conclusion and it can't be right. But yeah, we, we, we found the same that the more, uh, the more partners, like these are married people, the more sexual partners they'd had prior to marriage, the less satisfied they were in their, in their marriage. In sexually. Yeah. And, and what I love to do is I love to use some of the most um, liberal research studies out there. Mm -hmm. I, I like to use them because there's not bias in there. There's nobody in there trying to prove God's word to be true. So when you look at the University of Illinois in Chicago, there was a very religious or a very, uh, sorry, um, liberal agenda associated with that study. Um, University of Indiana, to, to back up what you found in your studies, said that there was a direct cor correlation for men in sexual pleasure. The more sexual partners they had over their lifetime, the lower the level of their sexual satisfaction, the fewer sexual partners they had in their lifetime, the higher they reported 
sexual yeah. satisfaction in their lives. Yeah. And then we also know from, you know, all the tons of studies on cohabitation, which are closely linked to all this, uh, you keep finding the same thing over and over again, but culture does it. That's not what our culture does. And so they don't, <laughs> they don't listen to the data. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, getting to your jumping into your book here. Um, so, uh, Dana and uh, Dr. Julie Slattery have, have written this book called Pulling Back the Shades, and the subtitle is Erotica, Intimacy, and the Longings of a Woman's Heart. And so um, I don't want to take words away from you here, Dana, but uh, a big part of this book was, was written in answer to the, the phenomenon of the Fifty Shades of Grey, which yeah. um, is uh, what uh, you would define as uh, erotica and um designed specifically for for women and we have had uh you know well in all the churches one of the biggest issues and all the couple with all the couples i'm dealing with with most of the couples is pornography and it's almost always um uh, about the husband's mm -hmm. struggle but uh in this book it seems to be saying that that you uh at least in your experience there's a uh well i don't want to equate these but similar um to men struggling with uh pornography which would be more of a visual kind of thing that there are a lot of uh christ following women who are uh, being drawn into a similar thing with erotica which is more uh, a storyline i I'll, I'll let you define that a little bit better yeah than i'm doing so erotica is just pornography without pictures rather than using um the visual imagery, which is more appealing generally to men, not always. There, is, there are a growing number of women struggling deeply with pornography um, in the church, outside of the church. That's a growing problem. But um, erotica, the developers of pornography found, when they just use words to narrate a story, and they can get into the heart of a woman and then take them through the pornographic arousal cycle with um, just words that that's more appealing to women and so we have seen this increase in women struggling with erotica and I, I think the difference a lot of times people are like well how is that different from song of solomon isn't song of solomon pretty steamy well yes it is but um song of solomon celebrates the physical love and speaks of it but then takes it kind of behind veiled doors for the most graphic parts of that encounter and the purpose of it is instruction. The purpose of it is understanding. The purpose of it is celebrating God's celebrating, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. Versus the purpose of it is the purpose of most erotica that women are reading is just arousal for the sake of arousal. There's not instruction. There's not a, a um, celebration of the holiness or sacredness of marriage. It's just like pornography. It's the end all. I don't want to direct you to this kind of love in marriage, in the marriage bed. I just want you to have a counterfeit for it. Is your marriage getting worse instead of better? Has there been talk of separation or is either spouse considering divorce? If any of these apply, then Love Reboot is your answer. Come join the hundreds of couples who are once in despair and headed for divorce, but are now experiencing a thriving, growing relationship after attending a Love Reboot weekend. Visit us at growinglovenetwork.org 
for more information on an upcoming Love Reboot workshop. Hello, this is Max Locato. You're listening to Relationship Rewired. And so, um, well, I want to jump into uh, a few. You've got in, in the book. You talk about these five, uh, these women's five longings. Yeah. And, and and before I ask you about this, I, I wanted to affirm something you just said. You know, we have. Uh, I've I've worked with a lot of couples where um, the wife is more visually um, stimulated, and the husband is more, you know, uh, otherwise. But um, but more commonly. Uh, nine times out of ten, we're going to see the husband more visually stimulated. Yeah, so um, we don't, just don't want to pigeonhole anybody here. Right, exactly. Um, and, and so, in many ways, a lot of this can apply to both to both sexes. But um, so you've got these uh, a woman's five longings. First of all, where did you come up with this this list of woman's five longings? Is it happening? Uh, I had just such a privilege to work with Dr. Julie Slattery on this. She is a brainiac. She thinks like a doctor of psychology. And she said, let me think through what longings are in a woman's heart that may give her proclivity towards pornography or erotica. At the same time, I did some research on um, what are the main characteristics of erotica. The writers of erotica are termed sexperts. And so what are, what are those sexperts seeking when they're going to write a bestseller what are the qualities in that storyline so by sexperts in other words they're they're not necessarily degreed in it they just know what turns people on (laughs) that's exactly right (laughs) okay which makes you a sex if you know what turns people on then by that standard you're a sexpert yes right so i came up with this list of some things that i saw um not reading erotica but doing research on erotica so um these women were saying things like, well, the male character has to be domineering and strong. He has to be kind of a hero. Well, there has to be also an element though, where the woman gets to come in and rescue him somehow. She's filling a need that- He's the loner or the, uh, yeah. Yeah. So all these different things I'm coming up with. Meanwhile, Julie's in her prayer closet saying, Lord, you know, give me insight as a psychologist. And our lists were almost side by side identical and so out of that thinking and research this list of the five longings of a woman's heart the reason we have a proclivity towards erotica um was born okay so this is not a a template that you're saying this is all women this is the five things that we all long for it's just the way it's it's just kind of more of a what you commonly see is that am i on target here Sure, absolutely. Um, again, you know, there's exceptions to every rule. What we're looking for are the common threads. And what we really wanted to, to identify is so many times the Christian church can be like, don't do that. That's bad. Without saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why did you do that? Okay. What was the root? What was the need in your heart, in your soul that wasn't being met? that cause you to be at risk of doing this. And so these five things are really legitimate longings that every woman, they're probably given to us by God in most cases. Not all, every woman has them, but every woman that does have them, it's something God gave us for a reason. 
but when they're not met legitimately, something like erotica can come in and seem like a shortcut for us to have our needs met. Yeah. So they're, they're like subcategories of those things you were talking about at the beginning. We all long to be understood and to be seen, to be known, to be accepted. And so these are, okay, that makes perfect sense. Well, I want to uh, briefly go through these. Um, First one is to escape uh, what you, and and by the way, I'm looking at this graph in the book, which is um, uh, on the left side, it's those five longings. And then, uh, so it describes the the longings and then characteristics of successful erotica. So how does erotica address each one of these longings? Uh, The first one is to escape reality. And the first thing I thought of, you'd have to be, you're an eyes age to remember this, but the old Calgon commercials. (laughs) Do you remember that? Calgon, take me away. Calgon, take me away. Yeah. The the woman, like the stressful dealing with stuff all day. And then she gets in that big bubble bath and relax to escape the reality of her hectic life. Um, So uh, flesh that out a little bit to escape reality. Well, um, you know, as Julie and I were doing the research on this, and I, I want to put a, an important kind of uh, qualifier in this. This is not just women who are unchurched struggling with erotica, okay? When Barna Research did some, uh, when, when, when Fifty Shades of Grey was kind of at its apex and literally was cannibalizing the publishing industry, publishers were contacting friends of mine who write from a Christian perspective but for the secular world and saying, would you write erotica? We cannot get enough of it. We can't sell enough of it. It was wow. <laughs> publishing industry. And so, um, but Barna Research did some, did a survey at the time and there was no statistical difference in the percentage of churched versus unchurched women in the United States of America who were reading Fifty Shades of Grey at that time. Mm-hmm. So this is really, these, these longings are not just longings that, uh, secular women are falling prey to, but also us as Christian women. So that. So said, so could I walk into a Barnes and Noble and and say, show me where the uh, Christian erotica section is? Well, no, probably not. But you'll find plenty of Christian women in that erotica section. And I want to say, <laughs> and let me say this though: there are plenty of women. I I have no problem with um, books like. Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the Francine Rivers book that every Christian woman has read. Oh, yes. My daughter's read. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think it, there was a one. There was a series, though, wasn't there? There's like Redeeming Love. and So so I have no problem with it. I actually really love the book she wrote that's based on the loosely based on the story of Gomer and Hosea. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes Christian women aren't going to the erotica section, but they are... Um, they are really addicted to Christian love romance because they want to escape reality. Maybe they don't have a romance. Maybe the romance is not alive and well in their husband mm-hmm. and, between them and their husband. And so they're escaping. So many of the women that Julie and I spoke to as we were researching for this book said the reason I started reading 50 shades of gray was because, you know, I was a, I was an attractive, sexy woman to my husband when we first got married. I had a meaningful career in the corporate workforce. I had uh, leadership in my church. And then I had five kids and started homeschooling. And I felt like my world just got small. And my husband stayed out there in the corporate world. He stayed out there in leadership at church. And one woman said, this became my outlet. This became my fantasy because I felt so confined in my world. Uh, does God want her to have an adventure in her life? Absolutely. God created us for adventure. And if you're a woman who's 
living in a life where you're like, gee, this, I do think God wants me to do this, but I'm feeling I need an outlet for adventure. That might be his spirit saying that you're missing an important part of your life. But the outlet is not romantic fantasy and erotica. Okay. And then you have, uh, next one is to be cherished by a man. And the uh, characteristics of successful erotica is that it presents an innocent female protagonist who makes a man forget other women even exist. Absolutely. And that man, that man that forgets other women exists, he does not exist. (laughs) (laughs) Even the most godly of men. I mean, God created women to be a beautiful pinnacle of his creation and for men to appreciate that. And so this whole mindset that, 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 that men can completely forget that any other women exist. That's just not reality. Um, That doesn't mean that men can't think pure thoughts and appreciate beautiful women with um, respect and as sisters, but it's just really, it it doesn't exist. It's not true, but everyone craves it. We want to be that man, that woman that turns that man's head such a way. Sure. It's it's just not healthy. Are, Are you familiar with the term limerence? No. Okay. Well, this, so this is, this is a word that was coined by a researcher back in the sixties, Dr. Dorothy Tenoff, uh, L I M E R E N C E. And we talk about it quite a bit, but it's, it's the, you know, she was trying to, uh, she was one of the pioneers in, in trying to understand the, the whole phenomenon of falling in love. And, uh, she, as she started getting more and more into research, she was realizing, well, uh, limerence is, I mean, falling in love is not really a good description of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she coined the, the, the term limerence. There's a, if you go Google it, there's tons of research on it. But um, basically during that time, if, if a male or a female are in limerence, during that time, especially on the ups, there's kind of, it runs a course. It's typically six to 18 months that it runs the course. But especially on the upside of that, there is a, a, a very heightened sense of, I don't need anybody else. I don't, yeah. I don't need anything except this person. You know, that's where all the songs, like all I need is the air that I breathe and to love you. <laughs> they come from that phase. But, uh, so I, I would, you know, if I would think that, um, uh, most marriages, uh, you know, wives experienced the time, um, probably before they got married when their husband just, he, he seemed to have this, uh, you know, you, you are the only woman in the world. Yeah. And, um, they weren't looking at anything else or anybody else. And they seemed, and then that went away, but it felt so great that there's that longing to have that back again. And, and I think, I I agree. I think that's a a God given longing because if, if uh, I'm created for uh, the desire to be accepted, which I'm ultimately only going to get, um, fully from God, Mm-hmm. Um, then from a very early age, I'm going to have this hope that there's somebody out there that would choose me over anybody else. And they would, and I would, I'm so acceptable to them that they would, even as they get to know me, they would continue choosing me for the rest of their life. So yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's a pretty and, big one. And, and what I get jazzed up on the neurochemicals of sexuality. Um, that's yeah. just one of my geeky things I study. And Oh yeah, me too. Uh, you know, all the, the, the brain chemicals, things like oxytocin that makes us feel like we belong to someone, dopamine, mm-hmm. 
that keeps driving us back to our husband or our wife for more sex because it's the pleasure chemical that says that felt good do that again and this whole cocktail of chemicals that god created mm-hmm. um he made those things right he made those things to make us feel those way those that way um sure. dr daniel amen he's a, a brain scientist a neuroscientist that has that does a lot of brain mapping, brain scanning for people that are struggling with brain function. And he noticed that one of his friends who was dating was like all just had kind of a little buzz all the time. He's like, I wanna I wanna look at your brain. I wanna see what's happening at your brain. Of course, when you're a neuroscientist and you have fact imaging machines in your office, you can do that. So he scanned his friend in the first early parts of um, dating him for like six or eight months, he scanned him. And, and he found that for about the first six months of a romantic relationship, those chemicals that the brain experiences at um, sexual climax, that there's like a low dose of them just kind of running through the brain for uh, three to six months when a a romance is beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my goodness, that is the rose-colored glasses. That is the rose-colored glasses that says, this person just is never gonna make a mistake. I always tell people, do not say yes to a marriage relationship until that six months is over. And you can see that they chew their food loudly. Yeah, that would be a good thing to know. And this is a great reason for uh, you know, I any any chance I get, especially I love talking to you know early high school, and and talking to them about this because it, it it's also you know we t- we'd are, we'd we'd tell our kids our kids are all grown now too, but um, we would say uh, before they started getting into the dating life, don't don't even don't even uh, go out with somebody that you know you wouldn't marry because. You can fall in love with anybody, <laughs> literally yeah. anybody. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh, now, because of time, I know that you've got to run pretty pretty soon here. But um, um, I just want to uh, say, the, mention these other three, and then come back to one of them. Uh, the third one is to be protected by a strong man. The fourth one is to rescue a man, and uh, the fifth one is to be sexually alive. That. Uh, that that fifth one's pretty self-explanatory to me. I think anybody who has any sex drive wants to, or even people who don't would like to. Yeah. I want what he's having. Yeah. Um, so um, it, the, the, to rescue a man, I think that's, um, and this is another, uh, another big reason why I think, especially a lot of young ladies get themselves in trouble. They see that loner guy, that guy who, um, that he looks like a project to them and it would make you feel so, important if you could turn somebody's life around or pull them out of some kind of bad direction or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I think that goes back to the, the, what, what were we created for? We were created to be um, conduits of God's grace, conduits of God's healing. We were created to be the hands and feet of Christ. And so there should be in every human a desire to um, be helpers to be servants, to see the needs of others and meet them. Uh, The book of Galatians says it real simply, serve one another in love. So there is a God-given desire in us to be helpers. And when you look at the Genesis account, it says that the woman was created to be a helper. Now, before everybody gets all jazzed up on me about that, um, the same word there, ezer kenigo, that is used to describe the woman being helpful to the man is this is the same word that is used for God as a helper to mankind. It's not a position of uh, second class position. It's not a subservient position. 
is a position of great power. So if we're created with that desire to be a helper, then certainly we're going to be, when we have our radar up to find someone to spend our life with, we want to, we want to be their helper. We want to be their rescuer. When it gets to be distorted is when we think that we can be their God. When we think that we can be their all in solution, yeah. we don't want that kind of helpfulness. And so I think Erotica a lot of times preys upon that and says, look how you can rescue this man. You, Fifty Shades of Grey is a great example of that. Here's a man with a, a past, an abusive past. He's been very abused. He is now psychotically, transgressively using women sexually. And the, the protagonist comes in and says, I'm going to be the one that ends this pain for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what you've been saying leads comes back to that third one, uh, to be protected by a strong man. I would imagine there's, you might get some pushback, some people who, uh, hey, uh, we are not, women are not created this week. We don't have to have a man to protect us. We don't have to yeah. have. Uh, do, do you get any of that? Well, sure. Um, but interestingly enough, that was one of the things that was most appealing about Fifty Shades of Grey. And the women of The View, who definitely, for the most part, don't line up with my opinion of things, um, we were, they were talking about the Fifty Shades of Grey phenomenon. And Barbara Walters actually said, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm out there being a feminist and being a strong woman, this is a paraphrase of how she said this. Mm -hmm. um, I just, I really, there is something really romantic and exciting to me about coming home to a strong man. And you know, what a, what a proclamation that even this woman, self-proclaimed feminist, strong woman, um, at the top of her field is like, yeah, even inside of me, there is this longing for a man, and it doesn't, listen, the, the men have the same desire. They want women to come beside them and rescue their hearts. This is not about feminism or chauvinism or maleness or femaleness. This is about the human condition, that we want someone to be our hero on those bad days to erase all the hurt and walk beside us and know us. I have a confession to make. There's a podcast I've been listening to for several months now. Like Relationship Rewire, this particular podcast I've been listening to relies on listener support. Up until just a few minutes ago, I had done nothing to support what they do. I was about to record this message when I was suddenly convicted to stop what I was doing, so I got on the web and sent them a donation. If you're like me and you believe in giving back when you can... You may also be like me, and sometimes when you're listening to those requests for support, you tell yourself, hey, I need to do that. But you're busy driving somewhere or something, so it's just not convenient, so you forget. So, if you're like me, it takes being convicted enough to stop what you're doing for a moment and do that. Now, we want Relationship Rewire to be accessible and helpful to everyone, and we know that not all of our listeners have the ability to support us at this time. With more than 13,000 downloads a month, you might think that Relationship Rewire has plenty of donors, but the mindset of most podcast listeners is that a podcast should be free. But it's not free. 
It takes a lot of time and expense to bring you this valuable information and to have these guests on the program that bring you the stimulating and helpful discussions we have on Relationship Rewire. Furthermore, we keep striving toward even better quality and even more interesting, engaging, and helpful episodes in the future. So please, stop what you are doing for just two minutes, hit the pause button, and go to growinglovenetwork.org, then hit the donate button, and help us bring more help to more people. Even a $5 donation means a lot to us, but if you're able to give more, please know we will put it to good use. You can even request that all or part of your donation go directly to the scholarship fund, which is designated to offset the cost for couples attending our three-day Love Reboot workshop. Incidentally, almost half of the couples who attend Love Reboot receive scholarship assistance. Growing Love Network is a nonprofit organization, so your donation is 100% tax deductible. If you donate now, as always, as just one of our ways of showing our appreciation for you, we won't continue this episode until you're done and have hit the play button. Yeah, and I think I, th- I think that can go both ways. There's there's you know I think that culturally, um, a lot of men are um, we're just programmed that not to not to let yourself be uh, need your spouse, not to let yourself uh, need them emotionally. Um, and and when I say need, uh, I don't mean like depend that that's your main source, but but that. Um, uh, I th- I think I find well. My wife says that one of the things that made her fall in love with me is when she saw me cry at uh, where the red fern grows. <laughs> you know, uh, that that I could let down my guard and and show that I'm vulnerable and have weaknesses too. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I, I really love about what you're doing here, uh, um, and not just in this book, but what you and 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 Dr. Slattery do is you are. Um, you are opening up the conversation, you know, so much of uh, what we've heard in churches and in, you know, Christian U.S., you know, Northern European, Western culture um, is, is so much about, um, uh, you know, well, usually it's, it's, it's about the men, um, men being faithful and, and, and not dealing with pornography and and I think that can be frustrating to a lot of men because they're like, wait, why is it the focus all about what we're doing wrong and what's damaging to us? And 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 you're saying, look, um, we've this is all of us. We've all got to um, take responsibility for what's going on between us sexually. And um, and there's always uh, another side of the equation. I'm I'm kind of walking on some tricky ground here, but, um, I, I think, I think it's, I hope it's refreshing for, um, for women of faith or any woman to be able to come to a place and say, let's talk about what's good about sex. And it, and it's not when we go in, uh, and, and just get around and have a glass of wine between us women and, and, and laugh and joke about it. 
uh, and reveal some of the stuff we've done, but let's have a healthy conversation about our sexuality. So I I really like what you're doing there. Now, um, one of the the pushback um, things that I think that some people might have is, is, okay, so it sounds like you're knocking erotica, but uh, if erotica is spicing up our Christian bedroom, um, what's wrong with that? If it's, if it's making me think of, uh, you know, helping me to be more um, exploratory with my husband, um, a little bit maybe naughty, and, and he likes that, and we are, so it's, it's spicing up our bedroom, what, what, how can that be a bad thing? What would you answer well, that? Yes. So each of us does long to be sexually alive. Um, and really that's a craving for intimacy. Again, the physical is just the conduit of it, but God did give us the physical as a point of great pleasure. And within the marriage bed, that's a beautiful thing. Women are experiencing some level of interest again in their marriage bed because they've read erotica initially. They initially experience something that they feel brings them close to their husband. But over the long haul, both in men and in women, porn and erotica will always draw you further away from interest in your spouse, interest in sex with a real person at all. We've seen that in the stories of women's, women that we have counseled. We've seen that in men. You know, um, when I started ministering to couples and singles, in teaching them sexual theology and sexual healing, their married people were having more sex than single people. That's reversed today. And both married and single people are having significantly less sex. Washington Post just wrote an article about this this month than they were a decade ago. And I believe that's because of pornography and erotica. The prevalence, the pervasiveness, the ubiquity, ubiquitous quality of porn and erotica there's not one survey that's ever been done that hasn't shown that pornography, because it ends in, um, uh, you know, it ends, it ends, it, en- it ends in climax most of the time, right. that, it, um, that it draws you away from a desire to have sex with a person. It's just easier. And our bodies get trained to self-satisfy. So um, one, the New Yorker ran a study and they had some men fast from pornography. They said, hey, this don't use it. What, let's see what happens. Unbelievably, these men wanted, suddenly wanted to have sex with their partners again. And Self Magazine, also a secular magazine, found that women who were using pornography we're not having sex with their partners. And they said, hey, if you want to have sex with your partner, you should push pause on porn. Over the long haul, pornography and erotica will draw you away from your marital partner, not draw you to them. Yeah, and, and so not just uh, we're not just talking about habituate. You know, yeah, it's, it's so, so, it would be so much easier to pick up a book or uh, look at pornography and, and quickly get into the world you want to be in and imagine it to be exactly how you want to want it to be. And so you get that, well, you, you, you get to your, you know, ultimate orgasm a whole lot quicker and a whole lot easier. You didn't have to work on the relationship to get there. You didn't have to woo anybody. You didn't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But another thing too is, is uh, yeah, one of the the, uh, neurotransmitters you're talking about oxytocin. So we know that uh, oxytocin is released by both men and women at the point of orgasm. 
And one of the things it does is bond you to the experience. And so, yeah, so with the neuroplasticity of your brain, you're, every time you are using erotica for your own pleasure, then you are attaching more to whatever that is and which is actually making you less attached to your, your husband or wife. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. called addiction. I'm sorry. That becomes, that's that becomes addiction. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, um, here I'm, I'm a, a guy here asking, uh, trying to pretend like I know women better than you. Um, so what would, what's a, what's something you would like to tell the women who are listening to this that uh, I may not be, or I haven't asked or may not be thinking to, to ask. I just think we need to talk as women, women to women. You know, God instructs us to, in t Titus 2, that the older women should be training the younger women how to love their husbands. And one of the things that we need to really talk about is um, what does that look like sexually? In, a, in a, 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 a vacuum where Christian women are not talking about healthy sexuality, holy sexuality, we still have a curiosity and we want to be sexually alive. So what's left? Well, we have to go to these secular sources of information and arousal. So I just really encourage women to talk about it, have a healthy God-centered conversation about your sexual needs, um, even sexual brokenness or sexual barriers, take that to someone. But above all, if you are struggling with erotica or if your husband is struggling with pornography, don't do that by yourself. Don't walk through that alone. James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another, and then you will be healed. There is such wholeness in healing, in just putting the truth out there on the table with a girlfriend and saying, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I need some help. That talk, just talk. Yeah. Well, great. That's a good answer. Now, I want to ask another question then, because another thing popped in my head with you said, so if you got a few more minutes. Um, I have, I work with, you know, so many couples where the, the wife says, you know, well, my, my husband just wants sex, but I just don't have, it's not that I don't enjoy, I just don't have the drive that he has. And I, I'm sure this is something you commonly run into there. So what do I do about that? I just don't have the drive and he wants sex a whole lot. I, I, I'd be fine with once a month, but uh, what, what would you say to to that wife? Well, I think that, we have a, uh, a, I talk actually, I, because I talk with, probably talk with women. I end up talking with a lot of women who have the opposite problem where they, she has a bigger drive than her husband does. Sure. And sometimes that is because something is disordered. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes the husband has a low sex drive because he is using pornography. Sometimes the wife has a low sex drive because she's using erotica. Or sometimes the wife has a low sex drive because she has unhealed sexual pain in her past. And when she finds healing from that in an appropriate way, gets to the root of it, and has it ripped out of her heart in a good, godly way, she's going to find that her, her interest in sex is healthier. But um, here's the thing. The Christian teaching on sexuality tends to be all on the side of purity. It's like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. Not outside of marriage, not outside of marriage, not outside of marriage. And that is such a half teaching of the scriptures. 
a, a, a healthier teaching of the scriptures would be one, yes, sex is for the confines of marriage. There are boundaries on sex that God gives to us, but the church should not be teaching just that. The other side of that coin is that sex was created to be a mutually pleasing and beneficial act between husband and wife. So, so sex should be mutually pleasing and frequent within marriage. Now, what does that look like? Well, that does look different from couple to couple, but I think that tension is part of what God gives us for the deep knowing, the intimate connection. I understand you. I know you. I see you. I know that you need this right now, even though this isn't something I need. And you enter into the pleasure and the enjoyment of it. One of the things I, I like to tell women is, hey, listen, the best thing that you can do for your husband is not to please him sexually, but to allow him to please you. That is more exciting to men oftentimes than anything else that could ever happen in the bedroom. So women need to step up and they need to step into either the healing that they need or just an understanding that, hey, God says this is supposed to be frequent and mutually pleasing. Let's talk about what that looks like in our marriage. So I like that. So allowing him to please you because, yeah, I, I do think that that's uh, um, uh, a lot of husbands deal with that where they, I, I want to please my wife, but she just wants, she um, almost feels um, funny and guilty if she's having too much fun. Yeah. That's what guys <laughs> like, girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, but it also sounds too that uh, another part of the equation is, some husbands are just imagining um, what would be exciting to them, and that's what they're focused on. Um, and and it may be that that being what's exciting to them is pleasing their 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 wife, and they're just focused on that. Um, when uh, instead of going, okay, what would what would help my wife to relax? What would make her uh, would would fulfill some of these longings and and having discussions with her, you know, studying her and 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 finding out what what does she like and what does she not. And these things sounds like good date kind of conversations. Yeah, and speaking of dating, let me add this. You know, um, so many times when we're trying to fix the bedroom, we get focused on the bedroom, mm -hmm. and that's important. We have to talk about that stuff. But there's also some really valid research that suggests that what happens in the bedroom is in large part a result and an outcome of friendship. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, not just, this is not just for women. You think, well, of course, women want friendship and then things go better in the bedroom. 70% uh, of both men and women surveyed said when their friendship is tended to and healthy, and we're talking about having fun, playing together, watching football together, going on hikes together, game nights together, um, playing practical jokes on each other, friendship, love. When that is well tended to, 70% of men and women said what happened in the bedroom was more exciting and better. Hmm. That's great to know. Uh, well, yeah, and there's something you were saying about while well, ago that sometimes it's uh, some kind of, uh, I'm not sure the words you use, but maybe some sexual wound or pain or hurt from the past. Uh, I think uh, a lot of, uh, well, and I, I, I know because this is my experience that a lot of uh, women that I've worked with, wives that I've worked with, who say they just don't have that highest sex drive, uh, then they'll often say, I wonder if something happened to me. And it's always, um, it's almost always, I wonder if I was molested or raped. Um, is that what you're saying? 
Well, it can be that. Um, I was not molested and raped as a child, but I was sexually active as a teenager. A lot of times, um, teenage sex is not the kind of sex that nurtures a woman's body and is patient and waiting for her. You know, they say sexually speaking, men are microwaves, women are crockpots. And it takes women a little longer to get there. But a lot of the times, the teen experience of sex is a very microwave experience. So a woman's body gets trained to get to a certain point and then just turn off because that's what, that's what her initial sex experiences became. And so even women like that need sometimes some body retraining. And um, I really recommend the resources of, um, there's a book called The Gift of Sex by Clifford and Joyce Penner. Yes. Just the barriers of sex and how to work through them. So it, it can be something as horrific as uh, child sexual abuse, but it can also be something that just seems really normal. Like, yeah, I had a lot of sex in college and I'm not enjoying sex as a married woman. Go back and retrain your body or retrain your mind because sometimes it's our minds that yeah. need the retraining. And I would also think maybe another contributor to past wounds would just be, even if you didn't have any sexual experiences, weren't molested, weren't uh, raped, but you, uh, uh, you were in a culture, whether it's your, one of your parents or both your parents or your church or whatever, that, that just talked about sex as almost like this shameful thing that we have to, um, that we can't help but doing, then, then that's, that can be a wound too. Yeah. Oh, you're speaking one. This is my soapbox. So move over. Get let me up. <laughs> go, <laughs> go. So many times the churches teaching to teenagers is no, 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 no. We would never teach them about nutrition and health that way. We would not say no more chocolate cake for you. No more lasagna for you. Don't grab the cupcake. We'd never say that without saying you're going to look better. You're going to be stronger. You're going to feel healthier. You're going to live longer. We tell them the benefits of nutrition and health. When it comes to sex, all we do is say, no, 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 no. Instead of saying to them, Hey, listen, research says sex is going to be greater. Research says your friendship's going to be healthier, healthier. Research says you're never going to get a sexually transmitted disease or an untimed pregnancy. Research says, uh, you know, we need to have that healthy approach to how good and wonderful sex is. Abstinence is not about not having sex. It's about waiting to have it right. Yeah. And the cupcake is a thing that you can have as a reward for eating your vegetables. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And enjoy it. <laughs> yes. I So many times I'm counseling young married women who were like, I said, no, 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 for so long that my mind is really having a hard time telling my body yes now. And as women, that's one of the areas where we need to step in and celebrate the gift and talk to younger women and train them up. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Dana, it's been a pleasure. I, I, this is, uh, I hope it just starts uh, people thinking about a lot of different things but, um, and looking further into them. But again, I would highly recommend uh, – for males, I, I would say husbands need to read this too. Um, pulling back the shades. In fact, I'm almost thinking this is more important for husbands to read than wives. But uh, pulling back the sh shades, uh, erotic intimacy and the longings of a woman's heart by Dana Gresh and Dr. Julie Slattery. Uh, what else do you have uh, going on right now or any books, anything that you would like to let the, the world know about? 
Sure. Well, just this month, I'm releasing um, Secret Keeper Girl, The Power of Modesty for Tweens, which is a celebration of a girl's body. And modesty is a power, a tool that God gives us not to hide our bodies because our bodies are bad, but to reveal our dignity and our character and the depth of who we are. And teaching this to our daughters between the ages of eight and 12 is such an important foundational thing. Teaching modesty in a way um, that she can dress appropriately, not to hide her body, because her body is a masterpiece created by God, but so that the real her can shine through and be the star of her life. And so the good works God's plan in her heart can show. That's my brand new book available this month for mothers and their tween daughters to do together. And, and the title of that is? Secret Keeper Girl, The Power of Modesty for Tweens. What? I'm sorry, what Keeper Girl? Secret Keeper Girl. Se- Secret Keeper Girl. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Dana, for being on this. Um, oh, by the way, if anybody's listening, I can't. I think it's in a two or three weeks. Um, your co-author, Dr. Julie Slattery, is going to be on here. So uh, I don't know what I want to ask her about because uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's phenomenal. You'll love her. And also, your organization, Pure Freedom, is it dot org? Yes, it is. So if you need like to find out any more about that, go to Pure Freedom. Org. Thank you so much, Dana, for being here. I hope you uh, uh, get some rest in that hotel, get your book written, whatever you're writing now. Thank you. God bless. You too. Take care. Relationship Rewire is produced by Growing Love Network. Growing Love Network exists to revolutionize relationships for lifelong love. You can find us on the web at growinglovenetwork.org. We welcome your feedback on this or any of our episodes. Send us an email to relationshiprewire at gmail.com.